king. So, praise the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, the true and the living God, Father, bless this time. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds. God, that we would see you, God. Please, let us see. Let us see you, Father. Reveal your heart to us. And then, Father, may we we love you and repent. And God, may we serve you with every part of our being. God, may you speak today and speak today in Christ Jesus, your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, God bless the reading of his word. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles and you would like to go ahead and turn, I would like you uh, to flip over to the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at two different uh, two different chapters. They're going to be back-to-back. Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4. And for a title, I kind of struggle with this one a little bit, but it's who is God to you? Who is God to you? Now, we're going to point out some things about that statement in just a moment. But what we believe, truly believe about God, our conviction about God shapes our life. It shapes our existence. It directs how we will respond to God, how we act toward God as we go into the world and as we live and function as children of God, our conviction about God guides our decisions, how we will react to other people, how we will be Jesus Christ in this world, his representative, and as we studied over the weeks, his ambassador, to be the one to go in his name. Carrying that commission, we are empowered and we are sent to go into all the world. Now, people immediately, because it does say preach the gospel, you know, to every creature, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you and know that I am with you always. He didn't say some of the time. He said, I will be with you always, even until this world ceases to exist. He says, I'm with you, and then some. So, the question, once again, is who is God to you? And it's impact on who you are. So, if you, in essence, believe the word of God, what God says, and you truly believe that, that's good. But sometimes along the way, what is taught about God, what is said about God, or our understanding of God can be warped in some way through experiences, hardships, different things that happen. You know, we take blows in this life, and sometimes those blows let the wind out of ourselves. They really do. And, you know, sometimes we regroup because we do not understand. God recognizes these things. He knows that they do happen. It's just sometimes we hide from God or we try to hide from God what he already knows, what he already knows that we're feeling, the things that we're going through. But a lot of people say what we believe about God impacts what we do, and we immediately assume to just simply witnessing. And over the weeks, I've been trying to say, yes, that is a major portion 
because we exist in this world so that people also might come to know the same Jesus that we know. But it applies to all aspects of our life, who we are, who we are in relationship with one another, and with our friends, with our coworkers, with our families, with our husbands, with our wives, with our significant others, whoever it may be. It affects all of that. You see, I'm not at liberty to treat my wife however I want to. And my wife will tell you. Now, some of you look at me and you say, that's just a sweet, sweet, bald-headed man. But my wife will tell you, no, that's a sweet, stubborn, stubborn, bald-headed man. She knows me better than you know me, and rightfully so. But it's not okay for me to be ugly to my wife. It's not okay for me to be ugly to my children or to my father. There's a commandment for that one, to honor your father and your mother. It's not okay to treat others, especially our families, in ways that are not Christ-like. God wants us to not simply be Jesus to others outside of. Okay? He wants us to be Jesus inside, within our families too. I've known pastors that will give everything they have away to people outside their families. As a matter of fact, they'll let their families do without because they're saying, we will sacrifice so others can have. They sell it. And it sounds noble, but you want to know the truth, it's warped and it's twisted. Your child should not go without clothes, food. Your child should not do without the essentials of life so that somebody else's kid can. Now, do you know how Jesus put it? Jesus said it this way. Let him that has two coats give to him that has none. Let him who has food give to him who has not. The idea is that if you have been blessed with more and you run into a need, then share. He did not say, do your family in. You need to love your family. You need to be Jesus to them long before you get out there. Because if you can't do it here, it's just lip service and it's a show out there. But now going back to this, who is God to you? So we have people today, you can hear them in different churches and in different denominations and some denominations that are out there, I mean, even ones that are different from ours. I mean, some of them are very, very good and great people of God. But some people in their minds, they have concepts of God that are not exactly right. They take an aspect of the nature of God and that's what they harp on. This is who we're going to be. You have some denominations that are so, so focused on the holiness of God and on the judgment of God that the people within the church can barely move, can barely breathe. I mean, come on, we've talked about this before. You can't have makeup. You know, at one time, fire baptized church. This is needless ornamentation. Now, you know, I'd give them a vote yes because I don't like wearing ties 24-7. It'd get a little hot around the collar. But here's the deal. They would say, this is me showing off. I got a tie around my neck. 
People today would look at you and say, take the cotton picking thing off if it bothers you, you know? But needless ornamentation right here. Women should not be wearing makeup. They can't do this. They can't do that. As a matter of fact, when you walk in the door, there are so many commandments of things that you can't do about the only thing you can do is breathe and pray. Everything else is evidently of the devil. Now, can you not see that that is lopsided and that that's wrong? But yet it's taught. There are churches today you walk into and they will tell you, are you ready for this? It's a good one. Everybody likes the piano, right? You do. This is evil. They'll tell you straight up, oh, no, 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 you can't have those stringed instruments in there. Well, the Bible talks about timbrels, harps, and all that kind of, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. we got to sing a cappella. We can't even bring a guitar in the church. What? 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 Where do you get this in your mind? And the whole thing is we are erring on the side of being holy and just avoiding all the sin that we can possibly, possibly avoid. No, what, what you're doing is you're making life unlivable. And you are turning God into something that he is not. As a matter of fact, whenever you go back and you look at the law, <clears throat> one of the things that Jesus Christ, not even an apostle, the son of the living God himself, whenever he had it with the Pharisees, because they were walking around and criticizing everything he did, saying that he wasn't of God and that he cast out demons by the power of Satan, and he jumped them on that one, but he looked at them. And, and he said, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. That's an old way of saying, you're in trouble. He said, you bind up heavy burdens on the backs of people that are too heavy for them to bear. They can't do everything you're telling them to do. In other words, if they don't keep everything that you tell them to do, then everything else is a sin. And all they're trying to do is live. I'm going to tell you something else. Here, I'm going to get in trouble. Tell you something else. Laughing is not a sin. Good humor is not a sin. Spending time with your family, cutting up, having a good time is not a sin. Okay? You should be having time with your family. You should be laughing with your, your family. And I've told this before. And I probably don't need to tell it again, but everybody looks at me and says, Shane, you just don't know Jesus. Really? Really? Just thought here. But you can't tell me that Jesus, whenever he was there with the apostles and something would happen that was funny, Jesus didn't laugh. In my mind's eye, I can tell you this. Imagine Peter going down to the water's edge and he's working on his nets and the, and the next thing he does, he slips and he falls in the water. Folks, that's hilarious. I'm sure Jesus stood up and went, hmm, hmm, how could you laugh? He was laughing. I guarantee you he was laughing. Probably went up there and helped him out of the water, but I know that he was laughing. You want me to give you another example, okay? How many people would laugh if I tripped and fell off this stage? Let's be honest. Lift up your hand. Lift up your hand. Lift it. Oh, don't you sin in God's house. There are more people in this place. Y'all would have gone, oh, and y'all would have been laughing. Did you sin? <laughs> he fell like a rock. I mean, he didn't even just kind of stumble. He just, pow. 
tell you this, there's not necessarily anything wrong with laughter. But I use that as a stepping stone to bring us to this, is that we have in our minds so many opinions of God, and we build up God to be a certain way, and we forget that God is greater than we are. We forget that many of the things that we have been given to include music, to include laughter, to include joy, you know, being close to one another, sharing with one another, all of those are from God. It's from his nature. But some people make God into someone that, frankly, folks, I don't want to meet. You say, ooh, pastor getting ugly right now. He's getting real ugly. Now think about it. If I were to assume that God looked like what some people tell me he looks like and unforgiving, you say, wait a minute, unforgiving? Yeah, they're the kind of people that would have cast that first stone. That he is is so exacting and so judgmental uh, that he is so quick to drop the hammer on people. There's no way I'd make it, folks. No way I would make it. And it's not biblical. It's not God. God is long-suffering, not willing that any any should perish. As a matter of fact, and Peter, if I'm not mistaken, but it also talks about, you know, don't count God slow concerning his promises. In other words, don't think that God has forgotten about you or he doesn't mean what he says because he is putting off his return, at least for this time. Do you know why he says he does that? He says because he doesn't, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. The whole reason he's holding off is so people can come to know him and be saved. It's important. It's important to God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to take a look at something. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6. What we are going to do is we're going to come up on Moses. Moses has fled from Egypt because he killed an Egyptian that was uh, killing another Israelite. He has fled for his safety. He is in Midian. He is a shepherd. He has gone from being the son of a king to being a shepherd. And as God would have it, as he's out doing his shepherding work, one of the sheep tends to wander off and he starts following the sheep. And as he looks, all of a sudden, this bush burst into flames. It's on fire. But the crazy thing is that the bush is not consumed. The flames are just flowing all over it. But the bush is not consumed. And what does anybody do that sees that? Well, I take that back. What do most people do when they see that? They walk up to it and examine it. Some of us would be like, yeah, that's a little weird for me. I'm going to check out here. But he goes to see what's going on. And whenever he approaches the Lord God, the true and the living God, whom Moses does not know, appears to him for the first time. And he tells him, Moses, you stop right where you are. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Not Moses that you can't come. It's just I expect you to approach me a certain way. So Moses begins to approach. And this is what God tells him in verse 6. God bless the reading of his word. Moreover, God said to Moses, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. For what he might have known, you've got to understand now he is standing directly before him. Verse 7, and it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. People, you could camp out right there. I want you to think about this. One of the hardest things for people to deal with, especially in their concept of God, who God is to them, is understanding God's love, God's grace, and that God is there. God is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He neither sleeps, he neither slumbers. God is there. Sometimes, you, you, you ever thought about what faith is? Think about it for a minute. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Okay? So it's the substance for things that we're hoping for, and it is the evidence of things we don't even see yet. By faith, my life at a particular moment may be filled with hard things. I may be praying, I may be crying out to God, or have just started doing so, and I'm worried about what's going to happen in my life. And people say, well, you shouldn't worry. Well, that's easy to say. Much more difficult to live out, especially whenever it's something very important to you. But I'm sitting there and, you know, believing God, trusting God, and yet everything around me tells me God's not hearing me. God's not going to answer that prayer. You know what? God's really not paying attention. You know, you've done something and... God now isn't going to answer your prayer. Or you've been at odds with somebody. But anyway, all of these reasons come into your mind to point out a very true fact. We're not perfect. None of us. Not Moses. Not Abraham. I can give you examples from their lives. Not the Apostle Paul. None of them. The only one is Jesus. He's God. But all of these things come into our lives and then we're sitting there and we come to this point where we have to make a decision. Do we believe? Do we believe? Do we believe what God has said? Are we going to stand upon his truth that God said he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us? Do we stand upon the truth that God is good? He is always good. Do we stand upon the truth that God says that he is our provision, that he will make the way, and that if we pray in faith, he will answer? That does not always mean that God is going to do things exactly the way we would want him to, and I praise God many times that he didn't because I would have messed it up. But what it does mean is that God hears because the conviction is God isn't listening, but we have to believe that God Hears people that is standing upon faith. When things hit your life that try to shake you, faith is whenever you stand up and you say, No, no, the Spirit of God within me is testifying to me that I am God's child. The word that God has spoken has never and will never fail. So therefore, God has promised that he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So my father is not gone. 
Jesus said, none is good save one that is God. So therefore, my God is good. And God has also told me that I can entrust anything I want to to him, and he will keep it. He will do it. God is there. And the same mercy and the same grace that we see in the life of Jesus Christ and in his ministry and that of the apostles is the same God that works today. All right. But he says something here. God told Moses, he said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. They were 400 years in the wilderness, being slaves, being abused. If you remember, um, who was it, Joshua? But whenever they came into the land of Egypt, I mean, they, they were the greats. They were the, you know, the ones that were blessed. And then it says a Pharaoh comes to power which does not know the Lord. And he starts doing his own things and these people start becoming oppressed. But for all of this time, all of the oppression that was there, God had not forsaken his people. His people many times had forsaken him, but he had not forsaken them. And so what he does is at this time, God says, it is time. It is enough. I'm going to deliver my people. So what does God do? He raises up people for that cause, just like he raises up you. Yes, you. Not hope so, not think so, not maybe so. God raises up you. You in this room were raised up for God for this time and for this purpose. To bring glory to his name, to help those that are broken. Well, let's go through it all. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Jesus said that is now your mission. Preach the good news to the poor. To preach deliverance to those who have been held captive by the enemy. To mend the brokenhearted. To set at liberty those that have been bruised and to, pro- to proclaim the, uh, the God, well let me say this, to proclaim the uh, year of God's favor. So our message And our calling is the same, is to go as Christ. And God said he would be with us. So here they are, they're in Egypt, and they're probably at the place. I mean, after about, I don't know, does it take 400 years for people to get discouraged? Or four minutes? Four minutes? Okay. So you got a whole lot of years to add to discouragement. But there were still those that were faithful. Do not think that all of them had turned away. There were still many that were faithful, still loved God, still trusted God. And you know how they got through it? Because in their heart of hearts, they believed that God would not cast off his people forever, that God is merciful and kind and that he would return to them. And that's exactly what he did. So God raises up someone. And he tells them this, please hear the words, I have surely seen. God says, I see what happens to my people. I know that they are oppressed. I have heard their cries. You know, as they are being abused by their taskmasters, I have seen it. And it is enough. I'm fed up with it. I'm coming to get them. So he tells Moses here, you know, uh, I'm the God of your fathers. I've seen all of these things. And he says, I'm coming to bring them up from a land to a good good and large land, 
to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and a couple otherites. Okay, that's where I'm going to take them to. Verse 9, now therefore, behold, the city of the children of Israel, excuse me, the cry. You know, some things that you're like, why did I say that? But let's go back. Now, therefore, behold, the cry, once again, of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression. This is the second time he said this. With which, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will stop there. Everybody's fine with this. Everybody's fine with God's mercy. We're fine with the idea that God is going to uh, deliver, that God is going to heal, that God is going to set people free. He is going to redeem all the great things that you can say about God, his power being displayed, the nations trembling before him, and all of that is fine until you get to this very next word. He says, come, right? Come now, therefore, and I will send you. Send you. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Everything was fine in the experience. Moses was fine to behold the glory of God, to experience the glory of God. He was fine to receive everything that was there. We want all the benefits of God, but what about when God calls us to walk through the difficulty that I might know him and the power of his resurrection? What about the next part? And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death. The idea is that I want to be like Jesus. My life is a living sacrifice, and if he should call for me to give my life, here it is. So he said, I'm going to send you, but Moses said to God, look at this. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, I understand that statement. Many times we do feel inadequate. But sometimes it's not just inadequacy. It's Lord pick someone else. Let somebody else do it. God says you, and we don't want it. Now you could say, okay, well, Lord, I don't know if I got the right stuff. But look how God responds to this. So God said to him, I will certainly be with you. I've got you. I'm God. I will be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, Mount Sinai or Mount Moriah. Where you remember Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. But this is where you will worship me. That's also the place where God's going to give them the Ten Commandments. But the sign is, is whenever it's all said and done, you will be worshiping right here at this mountain. Okay, and we're going to skip over a little bit because this is what happened. Moses begins to say to God, God, I can't do it. 
God, I don't have the talents, ability. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to. They're not going to understand. Hold on. Let me go back and let me take a look here. It says, "He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh?" But he's going to go on to point out all of his flaws. Well, I, I, I just, I'm not eloquent of speech. They're not going to understand me. They're not going to believe me. He goes through every reason why they're not going to accept him. And there is a little bit of, of some, I would say, truth in there. And let me tell you what I mean by that. After 400 years, now I want you to think about this as you. Let's say you have been slaves for 400 years. Some of you still pay some sort of respect to the Lord God. But by and large, you have been praying for 400 years for deliverance, and it has not come. And a person walks up one day and he says, Hey, God says he's going to deliver us all. Woo-hoo, y'all ready to go? And they look at him and go, Sure, pal. Sure. God's going to deliver us. Do you know how long I've been praying for that? You know, it's kind of like, who's the new guy? He comes in over here and he's just, uh, you know, wow, you just got salvation. You passing out salvation like it's pancakes. But the fact is, is God even said to him, you know, I'll give you miracles. I'll give you signs. One of those miracles was a staff. Throw it down on the ground. It became a snake. You picked it up. It became a staff again. Another one, he could take his hand. He could put it into his clothing. He pulls it out. It's leprous. Puts it back in. Comes out. It's fine. And even if they didn't believe that, he could take water from the river, throw it out on land, and it would become blood. He gave him three different signs, miracles, reasons why he could do this. But Moses was like, please pick somebody else. I can't do this. So let's take a look. Exodus chapter 4, starting with verse 1. We're just about done. Then Moses answered. This is chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not sent you. That's when God gave him all those miracles, you know, with his staff, with his hand, with the blood. Okay, after he gives him all that, he said, you know, Moses was told by the Lord, if they don't believe one, they'll believe the second. If they don't believe the first two, then surely they'll believe the third. But the whole point is that he's trying to show Moses, I've called you, I'm going to empower you, you can do this. All right, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Well, some people say that he stuttered, but it doesn't matter. The point is, you know, the message. All you've got to do is tell them what God says. It's not like he has to come up with it on his own. But he says, I am not eloquent, as if that was a requirement. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Some people have said he had a speech impediment, maybe. But anyway, so the Lord said to him. Now, actually, the Lord's a little put out with him right about now. So the Lord said to him, who has made the man's mouth or who makes the mute? The deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you should say. So God tells him something. I find this interesting. He says, you know, who has made man's mouth? Who's made the deaf? Who's made the mute? Think about that. Now, I know we've shared this before, but whenever somebody looks at you and they say, okay, 
I'm, I have a challenge in my life, whatever it may be. It could be autism. It could be uh, Asperger's. It could be um, just like this. Let's say you're, you're mute. You can't speak because you're deaf. And people will turn around and say, well, you know, God fearfully and wonderfully made everybody else, but he really didn't do that for me. Uh, I'm sorry. It says right now, right here, it says, who has made? Did you catch that? Who makes the man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, and the blind? Have not I, the Lord. Every one of them is fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, well, Shane, if he loves people and he cares about people, why does he have some people that are deaf? Why does he have some people that are mute? Why does he have them? Because you want to know something? Some of those people with those challenges in their lives and the difficulties that they have in lives, they overcome hurdles that you and I with all of our faculties can't seem to get over. And they also tend to be those with the most firm faith, those that tend to trust God more than the average person, those that believe and see and are grateful to God for so many things. Like I've shared this with you. I know I have to have. But in the past, there was a a news story that was on. But over in Darfur, you had uh, the genocide that was going on there. And these people are taking uh, machetes and you know, for the sake of young people, I won't get into all the specifics. Of it, but let's just say they're, they're killing people and mutilating people. And this one young lady was raped mercilessly uh, several times and was cleaved pretty bad. And they put her on an interview. And do you know what she has to say? She began to praise God, began to praise God for what happened to her. And people are like, well, well you know, obviously this woman has a, a mental issue because nobody will be praised for what happened. She says, you don't understand. She said, God didn't do this to me. Evil people did this to me. God spared my life, and God was with me at every single moment I was there. How many of us could say the same thing? I get a hangnail, you know? <laughs> You're like, oh, God, <laughs> I wish you were with me. You know? Hello. I mean, really? So... God lets Moses know that he has created these people, that they too are fearfully and wonderfully made. And just because we see somebody who may not have all the faculties and abilities that we have, God shows that not only can they do what we do, they can do more. God has chosen to shame the wise and shame the strong with those things that appear weak to us. Okay, finishing up. Have not I the Lord? Verse 12. Now therefore go, I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. But he said. So God has taken away every excuse for why he can't. And yet he looks at the Lord and he says this. Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. In other words, God, please, nobody but me. Can I submit something to you? That's where a lot of people are today. We are fine with small things. We are fine with things that really don't require a lot of us. We're fine with some of those things, but we know certainly, we know in our hearts 
that God is dealing with us to do more. He's dealing with us to help out in some way and in some fashion. He's calling us. We see a void. We see a need, wherever it may be. And and God calls for us. This can be in your work. This can be here at the church. This can be in your family, whatever it is. God is dealing with you to do it. And we look at God and say, can't someone else do that? This one costs me more than I'm willing to give. What a sad and tragic thing to say to, to, say to God, who did not even spare his own son, but we to look up at God and say, God, you know, this is too much for me. And the scripture says we... We shouldn't be panicking over the hardships we have in this life because we haven't resisted to bloodshed. Life, listen to me here, life is an opportunity. That's what it is. From beginning to end, it is an opportunity for you to get to know God, to love God, and change the world. I don't care if you're 97 years old. I don't care if you're 104. If there is breath in your body, you have been chosen, ordained by God to make a difference and change this world, wherever you are. Don't assume that whenever we talk about changing the world, that we're all just talking about carrying banners down Main Street, okay? That's going to happen eventually. Get ready for it. But assume that it's me, O oh Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. How about you? How about revival in your heart? How about this? How about revival in your spouse? How about revival in... How many young people we got in here? Young people, lift up your hands. Lift them up. Okay, thank you, Ms. Grell. Okay, that was so funny. We had a lot of adults with us. I am a Toys R Us kid. Okay? Well, let me say this. (laughs) Places where pastors ought not go. I'm going to tell you something else. Being what you need to be to your spouse, being intimately what your spouse needs, and I'm talking about Christ-like, being Jesus to your spouse, even in your intimacy, being Christ-like. Both ways. I didn't say just for the female. I'm talking about for the, the female to the male too. We need to rebuild and have revival here. Revival here before we're going to see revival out there. People need to come into houses that are filled with Christ rather than going out there and this revival breaks out and they come into the house of the Lord, and you know what? There's no food in it. You know the term Bethlehem means house of bread? How'd you like to go into a house and not find bread in it? Okay, let me finish up. He says, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. In other words, God's had about enough of Moses. Close as they were, he's burning up. 
Because everything that Moses was asking, I can't, I can't, I can't, uh, God send somebody else, I can't send somebody else, God was accommodating him. He was saying, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll be there. I'll speak for you. You just got to do what, say what I'm going to tell you to say, and here's miracles, here's signs and wonders, I'll be there for you. And he looks at him and he says, you know, no, no, send somebody else. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and then he points out Aaron. And he allows Aaron to go, but that was not the original plan. But I want you to just end there with this one point. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why? Why is the anger of the Lord burning against Moses? What do we see in these two chapters that brought about the wrath of God? God came with deliverance. He came for the purpose of delivering his people. He came to bring good and blessing, mercy and grace and to reveal to the world for all perpetuity, okay, for all generations. He's going to show his glory and pour out his mighty wonders. And he comes to a man and he says, you know what, I'm sending you. And the man does everything in his power to get away from him. God offers him all of these, these special miraculous signs. How many of you would we be able to hold back if y'all could, you know, had all these miracles that you could just run out there and show to anybody? If somebody looks at you and says, well, I don't believe in God. Well, here, you're going to find this a neat trick. You throw your stick down on the ground, comes a serpent. Or if you could put your hand in there, it comes out and it's leprous. What if you could take water poured out and it becomes blood, actual blood? I wouldn't be able to hold some of you people back. Y'all done have 14 churches started. The church of the fifth miracle, I don't know. But God gives him all of this and he tells him, Moses, go, you are a chosen vessel. Go and do this. But Lord, but Lord, but Lord. Well, Moses, I'll give you these things that you need and I'll make sure that they will see and know. There'll be no doubt that I'm with you. But Lord, but Moses, I'll be with your mouth. I'll, I'll teach you what to say. I'll do this. God, please choose somebody else. That's what angers God. One of the things that truly angers God. God's desire is to move in this world. His desire is to transform this world. But nobody wants to say, yes, Lord. Nobody wants to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Nobody wants to do that. Now, I'm telling you, it's scary. It really is. You say, well, if I sign up for that, then I'm committed, then this, that, and the other. Stop for a minute. Don't say, then I'm committed. The question is, is are you committed now? Saints, God is looking for people. His eyes move to and fro on the earth, looking for those that he can be strong on their behalf. But somebody, somebody's got to say yes. As the musicians are coming. Today, if God is dealing with your heart, I know he's been dealing with mine, but if God is dealing with your heart, 
and you would like special prayer, you say, Pastor, you ran over today. Surprise! Um, God's dealing with your heart. This is a time for you and him, not for me. I do not get tick marks because people walk in an aisle, but let me say this. That's between you and Jesus. If God is drawing you for a time of surrender, to step out, if you will, and to come before him, please do so. There's room to my right. There's room to my left. You can stand. You can kneel. Uh, you can even sit on the front row if your knees won't allow you to be in those positions. But the point is, thanks, let us do business with God. Let us hear his voice and respond accordingly, not with but Lord, but here I am, Lord, send me. Today, if you don't know Jesus, please do not walk out of here without him. Please take time. Come up here and talk to us, share with us. We'll take time with you as much as we need. Maybe you've walked away from the Lord. Maybe you've backslidden, as people say. Whatever it may be, please, let's make it right with Jesus today. If everyone, please stand. As the music is playing, please respond. You don't need a special invitation. Just come just as you are. Jesus is a special prayer this morning. I'm going to go ahead and invite the deacons to come forward and uh, any of you other ladies or anybody that might want to come and help pray. Um, Miss Brittany and I know that uh, Grandma and Grandpa, what, what do y'all call it? Grandma and Grandpa or? Nana and Papa. Nana and Papa. My goodness. I think that'll work for me. I think I'll be called a great Papini or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, we've got a little one. Brittany's got little Elise, and uh, she's going to be going in for surgery on Tuesday. And although we believe with all of our hearts that that baby's just going to be as fine as it can be, still any time your baby's got to go into the uh, hospital for surgery, people, it's tough. It's tough. And what we're going to believe for is complete healing. We're going to believe for God to just make sure that everything that's done is going to work. And we're going to pray that that little heart and that little life are not going to have any pain whatsoever. 
Okay? So, and yes, ma'am, you can come up here. I don't care. You can come right up here with us. So, according to the Word of God, the Bible says, Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them anoint the oil or anoint the sick with oil and to pray the prayer of faith. And the Bible says that God will heal the sick and if they have committed any sins, they will be forgiven. Well, Father, we're lifting right now this little baby up. So I anoint Brittany in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, right now, for little Elise. Father, you know, I know her heart is heavy. And I know, Father, she is so concerned. Father, I pray that you would let her know that God has got this. Father, we entrust Elise to you right now. We entrust Elise into the hands of a faithful creator. And God, you said that you loved us, that you would keep us, that you'd never leave us, and that you would never forsake us. So, Father, we just proclaim your word that, God, you will be there, that you will not leave us orphans, but that you will come to us. And, Father, right now we proclaim the name of the Lord God Almighty, the name of Jesus Christ. We do proclaim over her and over Elise. We proclaim the name of Jesus and the Lord over her. We proclaim the victory of the cross the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God, what was atoned for, and Father, the resurrection over her. We ask you to bless this little one. We ask you, God, to heal this little one. May nothing that goes on in her life, Father, we pray, be outside of your hands, but that everything that happens, God, you are in control. Speak to the Father's hearts. Let them know. The doctor's hearts, let them know exactly what they need to do. And, Father, help them to do it with excellence. And, Father, I pray everything that is done is for this little one's healing. Heal this child, we pray. And, God, in Jesus' name, heal this child. And, Father, we pray for a speedy recovery, little discomfort as as possible, and for this little one to be back going 100%. Protect this life and bless this family. And I pray for peace. In Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Anybody else this morning? All right. Well, then in that case, the Lord's blessings upon all of you. I pray that he keeps you and that his face is always shining upon you. And I pray for joy. I pray for grace. God, may your spirit keep us all in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.